When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking City from the Manchester Evening News, talking about all things Manchester City. My name is James Robson, I'm the Manchester City editor. With me is Stuart Brennan, our chief city correspondent, and Ian Cheeseman, who you will all know as a long-time city commentator. Hello, guys. All right. How are you? International break is just about over. We can Thank start goodness. <laughs> You've not enjoyed it? No, no. I mean, the two England games are pretty boring anyway, but... Being away from club football, being away from City, it's, it's just terrible, Stu, isn't it? It's especially when, when they've been going so well, you just want it to keep going, don't you? You know, I've said that many a time, I'm a bit of a cynical old hat, but... Never, <laughs> never. He's not a cynical old hat, I said is it, it has been said, yeah. <laughs> Usually we buy you in the car on the way to away games, to be honest with you, but... But yeah, but you just want it to keep going. You, you know, you, I was talking to um, to John Stones about it after the, after the Arsenal game. And he's obviously he's going away with England, but he said that there is that feeling in the camp that you just want the next game, you know, because they're enjoying it so much. It's just like when's the next? So he said, he said we, obviously we won't be able to play another game now, but he said once you're rested, you just when's the next game? I want the next game to be now, and and the fans will feel the same way. You know, we feel like that in the press box. You, you just want the next game to be, you know, you sort of dreading the end of the season because you want it to keep going. Obviously, you're not going to keep that level of football going, but, you know, it is so, it's, it's so great to watch. It's, the irony of being, of course, I think City played nine games in December, mm-hmm. and when it comes to the turn of the year, they'll be saying, playing too many games at the moment. <laughs> yeah, you won't, <laughs> not yeah, you won't, the next game. You won't hear that moaning in the press box, though, that's for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> the question always with international break is that, is, is this a good time for a break? Does it, does it affect momentum, etc.? Um, when you look at how City reacted after the last international break, I mean, it's been spectacular, hasn't it? They've won every game. Um, pretty much uh, made a statement right across Europe, not just the Premier League, they extended their lead to eight points in the Premier League, of course, uh, qualified in the Champions League. It doesn't feel to me like this break will affect the momentum. Would you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think that these these games have mainly been friendlies anyway, mm-hmm. so the players should re- return reasonably, you know, up and everything. It's not like they've had two massively fatiguing games to play, um, and you know, maybe in a way it'll have done them good just to have had a little bit of a break and ready for the onslaught to come. I think it does. I mean, especially going away with your country, and unless you're a Gabriel Jesus or, or something like that, you're going you away to go all the way to London. Well, <laughs> but you you going away and you you're playing with lesser players, you know. True. You're going away and you're playing with 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 a team that isn't as good as, as your club team. And they play with Neymar, wasn't he? And people like that. Well, yeah, no, well, no, that's what I said. Unless you're Gabriel Jesus, you know, and perhaps perhaps Aguero, you know. Um, so you're hoping uh, basically that uh, people like Sterling and Stones haven't been affected by the stink of England. Well, yeah, that's basically it, isn't it? You know, I mean, Sterling Sterling obviously didn't play for England, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, you see Stones playing for England, and he just hasn't got the options that he has mm. when he's playing for City. He played very well, I thought, from what I saw of the two games. 
Um, but you know he's, he's looking up and he's what, what kind of he's got Eric Dyer and people like Jordan Anderson and play all respect to them you know they're good players but they're, they're not at the same level as De Bruyne and Silva and Fernandinho and the mm. players at Stones is looking up to pass to when he's playing for City so he's, it's a bit like going away and playing for England is a bit like playing for the reserves for a couple of weeks <laughs> and, you know, and, then, and then stepping back up to first yeah. team level yeah. that'll get the England fans at it won't it I suppose the good news is Stones uh, didn't con- didn't concede any goals. He personally continued what's been an outstanding season for for him so far. Um, it's going to be a big test of him on Saturday, isn't it? Without Otamendi alongside him, it's been so crucial to what's been a really good defence for City this season. How do we think they're going to cope without Otamendi? And I think you were saying earlier you never thought you'd hear yourself say that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not you know, it's not so long ago we were saying how will they cope with Otamendi? <laughs> you know, we, were, we I think everyone thought in the summer that they needed a new centre back to replace him. That he, and there've been times at the start of this season when we thought that as well. You know, we saw what what uh, Salah was doing to him for Liverpool in that first half. He was just streaking past him, uh, and it didn't look that good for City at that point. You know, he thought they might be looking looking down the barrel, um, but Otamendi has really. You know, he plays. He's, he's learned to play to his strengths. He's learned how to to cope with having a lack of pace. I just feel that it might, in a way, suit City that he doesn't play in this game because you're playing a Leicester team that is all about pace in terms of its what it's got up front. He hasn't really got a lot else. You know, that's what they rely on. They get the ball forward quickly for Vardy, um, and you can imagine Vardy against Otamendi in a foot race. is only one winner there, and Stones isn't the quickest either. You know, he's. he's He's a, he's a smart defender, um, but he's not that fast. Um, obviously, there's a problem of, of how you cope with Otamendi not being in the team. I just think that Leicester are perfectly set up to play City. I'm not saying they'll beat City, because as you were saying earlier, you've got to get the ball off them mm. first before you can do anything. But if you get, most teams have the problem that when they get the ball off City, um, City are right on top of you, winning it back again. If your if your sole attacking ploy is to lump the ball forward and let Jamie Vardy chase it, or lump it and hope that Mares gets on it and does something quality with it, which is usually feeding Vardy with it, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. You just get the ball and lump it. You don't have to be able to uh, to keep keep possession for that long. So I, I just feel that Leicester could be, and I, I know a few City fans feel the same. I think Leicester could be well set up to beat City, whether City have got Otamendi or not. I'd actually go very strongly in defence of Otamendi, actually, and say that I think he's the best defender at the club. Now, I know that your, your point being that maybe last season there were some moments, and, and you've even used an example this season, where he's not been um, as sharp as you would want him to be. However, I think that, uh, particularly in that Liverpool game that you've, you, you've singled out, um, I think there was a, a problem on that side rather than him as an individual. And mm. I think he's the one out-and-out defender. Stones brings different qualities to the team. His, his vision, his reading of the game, his positional play. Um, you know, he's looking Let me just write that down because I'm going to quote this back to you. His <laughs> <laughs> reading of the game, his positional play, his distribution. Although, ironically, Otamendi, I think the stats say, has completed more passes than Stones this season. But that's not the point I want to make. The point is, I think Otamendi has been City's outstanding out-and-out defender hmm. this season. So I think he will be a big miss. However, 
to move it on to the next question, which is who replaces him. And I know that, that you guys here have been sort of coming up with about 11 different variations, apparently. None of them ideal. <laughs> I would say it's a fairly straightforward one. Danilo comes in alongside Stones, and as long as Delph is fit, because obviously we know he got a little bit of an injury last time out, and maybe at the press conference we'll find out the extent of that and his availability. To me, it's an obvious one. It's just Danilo comes in. Now, Danilo is a, is is you know can play lots of different positions. We know that. We haven't really, or I don't feel as if I've really seen whether he can deal with out and out pace like Vardy. But you know, he does seem the natural selection to me. I would have a concern with Danilo in the fact that he still doesn't really know English football. And what a game, like Stu's just saying now, Leicester are going to be they're going to hit it long. We know that. What a game to throw him into. It could be like. What happened last season, where where cities it was who was in defence last season? Off the stones, and they were wide-eyed, and it was like, what on earth has happened to us, weren't they? I think there would be a danger of that with Danilo, who is used to playing in wonderful footballing sides. You know, it's ironic as James said to me before when, before we started recording this. He said, uh, "No doubt you'll be saying, oh, City could <laughs> slip up here at Leicester." I'm being pretty positive, and James is coming up with all the solutions as to why City might lose at Leicester. As, as it happens, I don't think City. I think City will win this every week. You and I talk about this, cheesy. You say, "Oh, this could be the game they slip up." You were trying to sell me Burnley as a danger game, Stoke as a <laughs> danger game. I was having none of it. I'm having none of this he's, either. He's been supporting City for two. City fan in yeah. I certainly take, I take Stu's point in that I do see Leicester as being set up to beat City because, like I say, yeah, most teams will look to try to find a teammate when they get the ball against City and they, all they see is a man herring down on them. Leicester don't have to bother about that. They'll play to percentages and whack it. But I still think they've got to get the ball. And I just I don't see them getting enough ball. It's gonna Maybe they've got a puncher's chance, as you'd say, in boxing. It, to get one of those long balls to into the right channel for Vardy to, to oh, hit. Of course, someone. one of the differences this season to last season is Edison. I'll just I'll just rest absolutely, your ears yeah, on yeah, that. Absolutely, yeah, that's yeah. true. Absolutely, that uh, is true. He's going to take a load of pressure off those You've got defenders. A fifth, fifth defender there, yeah. aren't you? And mm -hmm. sweeping up. I mean, to me, the ideal solution. I, I don't know if, if they could work it because I'm not. I don't see see the players on the training ground every day, but. Um, you're talking about bringing Danilo in. What about bringing Danilo in and playing them at right back and pushing Carl mm. Walker inside? Yeah, he's the fastest defender they've got. You know, if you're going to coat, and not only that, he's a big physical specimen. He's a, he looks like a centre half. You know, he, he heads the ball like a centre half, and he, he tackles like a centre half. So to me, you know, perhaps perhaps that solution. I don't think he's he's played there very often in his career, but if anyone could get him playing as a centre half it'd be, it'd be it'd be pep now whether whether that fits because you'd probably have to then move Stones across to the left hand side now Stones should be capable of doing that I would think you know he's he's experienced enough but uh, that's that's just that to me would be the if it looked good on the training ground I think that would be the ideal solution you know the, the name that springs into mind as soon as you said that to me was Micah Richards who we saw play a lot at right back but actually, I th always thought played better as a centre half. Yeah. So maybe, although we haven't really seen it as you say, maybe that's a, that's an interesting thought. That. Yeah. It's it's, not often it's, you challenge me like that. You made me think of something different there. It's similar to Walker in some ways as well, isn't it? Yeah, he's got yeah. that same power and pace and yeah, uh, yeah. and that physicality about. It's whether he can read the game, but you're right. The pace could be the answer. There is yeah. one glaring omission from all of our suggestions here. It's a certain Vincent Company, who. 
we don't, we're going to find out tomorrow just how close he is to coming back, but it feels like on a week-to-week -week basis we've been told it's very soon. It felt like just before this international break that it really was very soon. Um, we're going to have to wait and see on that. But I've would you throw him in? I've seen no. some quotes from Vincent saying that he, you know, he feels good and he's ready to play, but I don't see, as Stuart's going to elaborate on no doubt in a minute, I don't see Pep just suddenly, bam, putting him back in. No, wrong game. It's the wrong game. If anyone's going to twang you all your hamstrings, it's Vardy, isn't it? You know, the last thing you want is company, rusty, uh, still feeling his muscles a little bit and chasing back after Jamie Vardy. It's, Full uh, sprint pulls it again, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's not the right game for him. Um, it probably cold because he's such a smart player as well as as well as well all his his physical attributes and, and his, his technical ability. I mean, he's a clever player and he'd, he'd probably find a way but if you're looking at it from the City boss's point of view, that is not the game to throw him back in. Perhaps Feyenoord. Feyenoord next week would be obvious. You know, that'd be the obvious one to if you just wanted to ease him back into the game a little bit. You're gonna have all the possession, you're not gonna have um players streaking past you, you're not gonna have the ball flying over your head and having to turn. Uh so that would that would seem the obvious solution to me. Whenever you have a player, sorry, with uh, with with problems of pulls, which is obviously what Vincent keeps getting, mm -hmm. the last thing you want to see him is, is at full pace chasing Jamie Vardy, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Is there any point in mentioning Mangala, or should we move on? I think there is. Okay. I think there is, uh, and I wouldn't be massively surprised if he played. Um, he has got a bit of pace. It is mm -hmm. one of his one of his attributes. Um, at West Brom, I thought he played quite well in the Carabao Cup game. Uh, he had a couple of edgy moments where he, his old nervous self came back and he, he played the wrong pass. Um, but I thought, in general, he played pretty well. Then against Wolves, I thought he was shocking. I thought he had a, an absolute nightmare. And I thought Tolson and Rabaya was the better of the two centre-halves. So, again, we've not mentioned Tolson either, you know. But, again, I don't think that would be the right game for a young player like him. You know, throwing him in against somebody of Vardy's experience. Um, but Mangala, you know, we're not seeing him on the, you know, he's getting on the bench every week. Mm -hmm. So there's Vardy always seen something in him, either that or he's sending a message to the hierarchy saying, look, I'm having to put this fellow on the bench every week, get your fingers out and sign somebody else. But uh, I, I feel a bit sorry for Mangala because I think there's a player lurking in there. I just don't think we've seen it yet, and I think he's a lot of it is his nerves. I think he gets too he gets nervous. He gets set up. If he could conquer that, I think there is a player in there. And you know, if you speak to Portuguese pundits, Portuguese commentators, they all say that he was he was that player in Portugal. You know, he he didn't look like that when he was playing playing over there. So uh, there might be a player in there. I, I take that. I think a lot of people have thought that for a long time, but. Is there a Guardiola player in there? No, no, there's not. There's not, but um, we know that, and that's why they, they wanted to sell him. They would have sold him. You know, it was all the deal was done with Crystal Palace. He was going to go, and then it all fell apart on transfer deadline day because you know other other things didn't fall into place, and Mangala didn't want to go. And Mangala, fair, fair play to the lad. He, he, you know, he could have taken that option and gone to Palace, but he said he wanted to stay at City. Uh, and he wanted to prove himself. He wanted to prove that he is the the player that City paid forty two million pounds for. Um, you know, and good luck to him. I hope he does do that. One thing I have noticed about Mangala, which might be relatively unimportant, but when he warms up on the touchline, he's the first one immediately to start applauding the fans and 
I've you know I've been in close quarters with him a couple of times, and he seems such a, a, a an affable guy and mm. somebody who wants to do well. Yeah. So maybe in in the, 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 there's this desperate need for him to learn, like you say, and prove himself. Uh, another option, of course, on on Saturday at Leicester might be if Delph for, for any reason doesn't make it to stick Mangala at left back. It might not be the ideal solution in terms of the overlapping runs that he can do. It sounds it? like a horror show. Yeah. We've got, got Danilo at centre, Mangala at left-back. You know, actually, maybe this is the game since you're going to trip up. If, if I mean, you're, you're convincing yourself, <laughs> You've convinced me now. You, you could play a three at the back, of course. Yeah, I was you thinking know? that. And Danilo looked very good at it in a three, yeah. in the three in the back against Liverpool, I thought. so. And then you get Walker into that, don't you? Uh, into that, would you would you put him in the three? Walker, um, Walker Stones, Danilo. Possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, could, yeah. You'd I have to you'd have to work out how that would work. And who goes on the left hand side of that three? Uh, and then, of course, you've got the problem as who plays right wing back. Does Raheem Sterling mm. play that position? I think he, I think he, he could play it. Yeah. I mean, he's tried Leroy Sane on the other side, hasn't he? That, that was a horror show, show wasn't it? it? He didn't, but you got the feeling because Sane didn't want it to work. You know, he did. Yeah. <laughs> you got the idea that he's. He, I always got the impression. I'm not, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't say it's too improbable, but I always got the impression with Sane. It was like if I make a success of this, he might play me over again. <laughs> so I'm just going to do what I'm best at, which is going forward. And and he had a he had a total nightmare. Well, we're on this subject though. I mean, you look at Raheem Sterling, and and you know he's had a very good season, uh, but. Pep's jumping up and down on the touchline when he loses possession mm. in key places shows you, and he said it himself, Pep, that he's not quite the finished product yet. And if if he if he was playing in a deeper position and losing possession, that would be more mm. potentially damaging than than him going forward. And all right, it doesn't quite work out for him; he loses possession. That's not always fatal. But if he was playing as a wing back and he was losing possession as cheaply as he can do sometimes. That would worry me, so I'm not sure I'd want Sterling playing at uh, right wing back. I think no, the other thing, the other thing with Sterling and Sane is they've been so brilliant this season. I wouldn't mess with it. I'd yeah. keep playing them as you're playing them because they they look so lethal every week, don't they? He's a giant top scorer. Yeah. Do you move your giant top scorer deeper? You know, yeah. you keep him as a goal threat, don't you? So I'd, I'd agree. I mean, it was I was just tossing that one yeah. into the ether just to uh, just to just to. Prog you boys and see what you thought. It doesn't feel like we're any closer here, does it? I'm, Danilo, I'm going with Danilo. Danilo. Yeah, that's the solution to me. I think I'd sooner have Mangala, and that's saying something. Danilo? At centre back, yeah. Oh, no, 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 I'd go for Danilo. At centre back, at this time, yeah. I just, I just think that is a risky, risky move. What do you think, dear listener? Pep, I mean, Pep's got a, a history, hasn't he? It's a, especially at City, of, of coming out with left field solutions. So you wouldn't, wouldn't be overly Aguero, Aguero, centre back. I think that's one we can. Uh, I mean, if he, well, if, if he's bloody dizzy now, we, we're going to move on to Aguero in a minute. But I mean, Fernandinho is a is a possibility. Yeah. He, he played Yaya Torre at centre back in the Champions League final. Well, Yaya, yeah. we haven't mentioned. Uh, I mean, obviously, in terms of how he. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't really fit the Pep, n- now at his age anyway, he doesn't fit the Pep um, formula because it's all about speed and uh, I don't just mean speed running in straight lines, but everything's about speed. Dynamism, yeah. But Yaya um, keeps possession really well and that's clearly a key element of what he wants to do defensively. That's what Stones is doing and, and City are doing generally at the back. So I wonder whether Yaya in this case might be this one of the solutions um, that will be seriously considered because if he plays in that role alongside Stones at the back and City are wanting to intercept and cut out, he reads the game perfectly. He doesn't 
throw away the ball. His forward balls from that deep position would be near on perfect because that's what he's all about. So, yeah, me, I shouldn't rule him out, I suppose. I suppose the problem is a lot of what we're doing here is we're trying to move things around, aren't we? To shuffle things around to make this, just to fill this void in defence. And we're kind of making weaknesses elsewhere, aren't we? So you take Fernandinho out, who's been outstanding yeah. this yeah. season. Yeah. Stick him at centre-back, you lose that, don't you? Likewise. That's you why I think Danilo slotting in there doesn't disrupt the rest of it. Yaya doesn't disrupt the rest of it. But you start making... You know, Kyle Walker coming inside and all mm. this business, Raheem Sterling, but then it then it disrupts it, doesn't it? So I'll have that. I'll have that. What? That's settled then. Danilo. Danilo. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're agreed. But okay. if he goes horribly wrong, I'm gonna be pointing fingers at you. It's not my fault. <laughs> so uh, we mentioned Aguero there. Uh, there was uh, a worrying incident midweek. We were told that it was it wasn't a major deal, but you don't like it hearing about players passing out in a dressing room at all, do you? I, I seem to remember who was the player. Was it the uh, Clive Clark a few years back uh, at half-time? He had a, a condition at half-time. I think that turned out to be a, a heart condition. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong on that one. <laughs> I think it was him. Um, but it, it is worrying when you hear these things, isn't it? Uh, with this, do we just... Is it too much football for Aguero? I wonder, uh, uh, my thought was, did he come back too soon from the rib? Has that played a part? Well, you just, you just, just speculating. It could be anything. It could be just a bug that he's had. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? You know, mm. you get a tummy bug or a, a bit of a flu bug or something, um, and it, it can be the first sign. You know, you, you just start to feel unwell. We, we don't really know. I mean, we'll, we'll know more about it by tomorrow. Hopefully, if uh, as long as Pep's in a good mood in his press conference, we'll uh, hopefully we'll we'll find out a little bit more about it then. But. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure speculating on it. You know whether whether it was his. I can't. I can't imagine some grip because how many games has he played since? And if he was mm. going to have a problem, you'd think it'd mm. be in his first game back, not not several games down the line. You know, and you think about how he played in Napoli and that goal he scored. There was no sign of dizziness there, mm. was there? You know, so I wouldn't have thought it'd be that. But what what it is, we'll just have to wait and see. I think there's always something with Aguero, isn't there? It's, uh, he certainly keeps us on our toes, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a key player as well, and so therefore it's understandable that everybody worries, but speculating around what's happened, um, it, whilst it's inevitable, I don't think there's any point in it really, because we weren't there, we weren't in the dressing room. You know, sometimes you can just get up from, from, from even just normal people and get up quickly and suddenly feel a bit dizzy or whatever. We don't know what did he collapse? Did he fall on his? Or did he just slump in his chair? Well, the city and tell it last us that 10 seconds? there was no blackout. There was no loss of consciousness. So that already changed from the initial reports we were hearing. Aguero's fainted. Blah blah blah. He I don't actually, think this will prove to be significant at all. He actually, well, I saw him walking out of the ground. I saw a video of that. It looks absolutely fine. Mm. Of course, the thing is, up until a year ago, this would have been a major issue mm. for City fans. They'd have been, they'd have been praying to the various gods, you know, that he was all right. And but it's it's not anymore, is it? No, you know, no. Aguero goes out. Jesus plays plays that position. Would he, would he play two of them know? at Leicester to begin with anyway? Well, yeah, maybe the, it's one or the other. Yeah, you don't you don't know. He didn't have to play him. He didn't have to play him, and you, and you wouldn't feel it like you like you would have done up until a year ago. Mm. You know, um, if anything, so City fans would say, "Look, give him a rest." Wouldn't yeah. you know, we can afford to give him a rest, and yeah. like say you never would have heard that before, would you? No, no, no. It's a happy position to Especially be. Especially with Sanchez coming in in January. So absolutely. But, but I mean, the, the, <laughs> the contrast of the two things we've been talking about up front, you lose a player, doesn't matter. Mm. At the back, you lose a player. 
what are you going to do? You know, there's a, and that that is Pep's next uh, next next big task to address that issue. There's a big imbalance in his squad in defence. He's got problems whenever a player goes out up front. He's got he's got too many really. He's got he's got more players than he knows what to do with it. Keeping them happy and keeping them playing is is the only issue he's got got attacking wise. And uh, you know he'll need to address that partly, but hopefully in January, but certainly next summer. Perfectly illustrated by the fact that John Stones went down in the Brazil game at one point, mm. and um, it, me as a City fan straight away I'm thinking, oh no, Otamendi's already out of Leicester. If Stones is out as well, so relieved to stand, see him stand up and move around freely and carry on. Which, like you say, if that had been one of City's players um, who played more. Forward, you know, in a mid, one of the midfield roles or whatever, you know, if you'd seen, I don't know, David, not that you'd want this to happen, but if you'd seen David Silva do the same thing, you think, well, Bernardo can come in, Gundogan can come in, you know, there are other alternatives, but as soon as Stones went down, mm. my heart was in my mouth. I think there's two exceptions to that. Uh, I mean, I, I would normally say David Silva, but I, I think they could probably live without David Silva to an extent. I don't think the team would be as good, but De Bruyne and Fernandinho, you lose one of those two. And Edison, I, I still think Edison. Edison yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm, I'm talking more <laughs> beyond the beyond the back four kind of mm. thing. I think mm. lose Fernandinho, you lose the glue that that holds everything together. Lose De Bruyne, I don't think he's a player operating in that position at the same level as him on the planet. So you know, he's certainly not one at City. In, interestingly, when Guardiola talks about January, though, um, he doesn't open up a lot. He's, he's he rarely has opened up about transfers, but. He said on several occasions this season alone, we need cover at left back. So we're talking about centre backs. Um, he didn't sign a centre back in the summer. Uh, this injury to company and Otamendi's suspension has just highlighted how brittle they are in the centre of defence, or how shallow their options are. Let's say, but he's still saying he wants a is a left back. He wants more than a than a centre back. Well, the, the is way that just him. Well, the way he looks for signings is he'll look for a, a left back who can play centre back yeah. as well. I'm sure that that'll be that'll be top of the list. Whether they can get one is another matter. Um, but that, that's you know Danilo was that signing, wasn't he? You know they, yeah. they brought Danilo in because he can play three or four different positions. And if they are, if they do if they are going to sign somebody in January, I would have thought that somebody who can cover both positions. It's, it's, but it's not easy to find, is it? You know. No, well that's what those was, players aren't ten a penny. Well, I was also going to suggest there's from what we understand at Liverpool is that their idea was if they couldn't get Van Dijk there was no other centre-back in world football who was better than what they had who was available basically which is why they didn't bother going for anybody else other than Van Dijk now I think a lot of Liverpool fans would look at their centre-back options and say there are let's just say a, a fair few who are better than they've got is, do you think maybe Guardiola's of that same sort of opinion that in terms of because obviously he was interested in Van Dijk as well that because what I'm getting at here is he's improved that central defence immeasurably without actually signing anyone to improve it right. from last season. Because that centre defence, like we were saying, you know, who would ever say how much they're going to miss Otamendi last season? Um, but how much better is that central defence now, despite him not having addressed it? What he's done is address around it, and that's made all the difference, hasn't it? With a goalkeeper behind it, which has given them more confidence, and with the full-backs who have... Well, taking the pressure off. I was speaking to Joe Royal this week and, and, and he, I suppose, just said what everybody said in the summer, which was when City spent all this money on two full-backs, there was lots of furrowed brows and, and raised eyebrows saying, full-backs? You're spending all that money on full-backs? What's going on here? 
But now, I mean, I know Mendy, unfortunately, has, has been missing, but you have seen the impact, nevertheless, of what those full-backs have brought. And I think they've helped the two centre-backs, just like the goalkeeper has, tremendously. And, and I mean, I remember speaking to Pep last season and, and I actually said to him something like, is Fernandinho your key player here? And he sort of looked at me in a sort of, he didn't say it, but, but you, you could almost see him going, yeah, you're, you're right there, you've hit that one on the head. You know, maybe he's. I think you've read a lot into that look, haven't you? Maybe, but I mean, <laughs> you know, when you read Pep Confidential and you see how crucial in his thinking Philip Lahm was at, at Bayern Munich and how he saw him in a, in a different role and actually not a dissimilar role to the one Fernandinho's playing in, that's what made me wonder because of the way he'd been just praising Fernandinho whether he had seen that in him. I know he's a little bit older, which is the worry, you know, that there's only so long, but he looks as fit as a butcher's dog, doesn't he? Mm. So I don't think there's a problem with Fernandinho playing for another year or two, but I wonder whether Fernandinho's improved and, and helped the two central defenders, the two full-backs have massively helped the two central defenders, even even Fabian Delph and the form he's shown, and the goalkeeper, and obviously just general ball retention. So that they've all helped to cement that, that, that central two a lot yeah. stronger, haven't they? It's a whole package. It's improved. I mean, they've improved as individuals technically. They've improved as a unit tactically. And like you say, Edison has brought a, a confidence to the back four that they didn't have last season. Uh, and and just the fact that he's 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 had the time. He's been given the time to keep working and keep pushing that philosophy upon his players and keep the ball. I don't care if you lose it. You keep it and you keep doing what. What I'm telling you to do, and he won't, you won't be in trouble with me. And it, it, he's pushed that, and he's, he's got it, he's got it into their heads now, and they can see it working. They're confident in it. So it's, it's the whole, the whole package. Put all those things you said together with that, with the fact that they worked hard at, at creating this system and, and showing that it works, and getting the players confident in using it. And you've got what, what we, we see before us now. Infamously, it was this game, that the Leicester game last season, where he's the famous quote, uh, what is tackles or whatever it is. I don't, I don't uh, practice tackles. And I think he's been true to that. And I think what, we, what we've seen is that his feelings last, last season were that the defence was too exposed. Um, now they're not exposed because they always have possession. So the, the midfielders and the attackers always have possessions. They're always pressing, they're always on the front foot. So his defenders aren't exposed anywhere near as much. I think Fernandinho has been brilliant this season. I don't necessarily think he's improved so substantially. I think that, again, he's exposed far less because those attacking players are just always right on, on the opposition, always going forward. So it's, there aren't the moments when he's, oh, no, chasing after shadows, I'm all by myself. When you look at the setup, you might think that would be the case as the only sort of defensive-minded player of, what, the front six, isn't he? You'd think, oh, the, like, you'd think the Paul Ince game for England, the, the Euros, if you remember, where he was the only one uh, against Portugal. Mm. Um, you'd think that could happen to Fernandinho, but it doesn't because, as you say, all of those players are so confident and accomplished in possession, are so forward-thinking. The opposition don't have the chance to, to isolate him or John Stones or Otamendi. Yeah, no, I think there can be an argument about that. Um, but I still think that Fernandinho has, just like the other players, has sort of really got what the Pep Guardiola mm. model's all about. And um, 
and you can see it on the faces, they're, in, they're clearly revelling in it, aren't they? My only concern with Fernandinho is, is the same concern that I've had since, it, since he came, which is that second half of the season, his performance level tends to drop off mm. because he does so much running. I mean, originally he was doing all the running for Yaya, you know, he, he was Yaya's legs, he was, he was the number two really in, the, in, that, in that department. Uh, and you remember that the title season, he was brilliant in the first, first half of the season, second half, but they had to keep playing him because they didn't have anyone else really to play there other than Fernando who, who wasn't good enough. Second half of the season, um, he fell away badly. You know, you could say he just ran himself into the ground. He didn't have he he'd over he'd underestimated just how difficult English football is, and he played and played and played and thought he could keep that level up, and I don't think he could. And since then, he has adapted himself a little bit, but he has to keep playing. He has to keep playing because he's nobody else. We saw it in that Carabao Cup game against Wolves. I thought, you know, he didn't play, and there was something badly missing from from that midfield. And it wasn't the attacking players; it was him. He was the one who he sort of slots slots in there and holds everything together, and uh, that that would be a, a concern for me. He's a little, what is he thirty two now? He's getting a little bit older, so his legs aren't going to be any better than they were two mm. years ago. Well, maybe you know there's a significance here in the fact that in in recent weeks City have been linked with midfielders, and and instinctively you think. What on earth are they looking at midfielders for? They should be looking at a left back. They should be looking at a centre back. And yet, this young German uh, that they're interested in, and other names I've seen banded around as well, I wonder if they are then to support that Fernandinho role. Um, you know, not they don't need the the, the the pace down the wings because they've already got that in Sane and and Sterling. They don't need the strike force, although Sanchez may still come in. But they do need somebody who's going to play either in the same role as Fernandinho on a rotation basis or alongside mm -hmm. Fernandinho and maybe that's why these these young exciting midfielders keep being linked with City. Well last season of course Yaya ended up knocking him out of the team for the second half of the season which again was he had a great start last season didn't he and it couldn't keep it couldn't maintain it and maybe this is why we've barely seen anything of Yaya this season maybe Pep is looking and thinking there's a chance here that is we're going to have to do the same in the second half of the season. Mm. Obviously, that's not a plan going forward long term, though, is it? Because no. you've got two old men <laughs> having to rotate. I, I would expect them to buy a, a, that sort of holding midfielder this, this summer, definitely. I, I think whether or not Fernandinho signs that contract, I would expect them to... That is an area that needs to be addressed. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe that's the, that's the solution then, to maybe it even happen sooner than that. Yeah, yeah, possibly, although... We've got Sanchez now coming in January. We've got a left back. We need a centre back and a and a central midfielder. I'm not seeing four in January, are we? You wouldn't believe this was a squad that's been ripping exactly, everybody yeah. apart. With the, <laughs> needs, needs so many players. Yeah, but the manager wants perfection, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and he also knows that they're, they're only an injury or two away from dropping that level, mm. not dropping that performance level. And that's that's something as a manager he's got to he's got to cater for. Well, we come back to it now. The Otamendi suspension really has highlighted that, hasn't it? That you are potentially one, one uh, missing player away from things going wrong. Mm. It's uh, only one game. That's the beauty yes, of Otamendi. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's back again for for the, the game three days later. But uh, if it, if he'd if he'd have injured himself on his way around in Tina, you know, that, that's a whole different ball game. Right, a little bit uh, left field. This one, cheesy. You've written a column for us in the MEN this week, which uh, will be coming out very soon, on the subject of loyalty. 
Yeah, and it's something that City fans are very passionate about. Um, I mean, I did one tweet which basically said, "What is a City fan, what does the word loyalty mean to you? And I've been inundated, I think it's fair to say, a lot bigger response than I thought. The question was meant to be general, so it could apply to players, the club itself, to the management, uh, to, to fans, of course. To anybody, you know, the whole, you could even broaden it out to society, you know, what is loyalty anymore. Um, but of course, the fans, being the type of fans that City fans are, um, took it to mean about themselves. And there's no question in my mind that City fans are the most loyal breed you will ever find. I mean, I've been watching the Blues for 40 years through all those terrible dark days. Well, I said terrible, it was still fun, but those, those days down in, in League One and in the Championship and some of the players that uh, City have produced down the years have not been quite to the standard, he says diplomatically, of the current crop. Um, and and fan, those fans were turning out in 30,000s and when, when football wasn't as fashionable as it is now or it wasn't on TV as much as it is now, uh, where they didn't have a tunnel club and all these other things to attract people along, where it was just game after game. And so how, how can anybody question the loyalty of City fans and sacrifices that, that they make to go to games and in, in hard financial times? No doubt about that, but then you can broaden it out to talk about loyalty within within football itself um, and yet then you have to look at it in a completely different way because it's not the same as fan loyalty it, you know you're born a fan you never change allegiance of, of your club you make oh, as I say all these sacrifices I, I just heard a guy on the radio as I was driving in today uh, I think he was a, a Tottenham fan talking about how he buys his season ticket and it's like the cost of a, of a holiday, more than the cost of a holiday that he has to fork out every year to buy a season ticket. In that, in his case, the figure he was quoted was seven hundred quid. You know, and now you, that's a commitment. That, that's a an absolute massive loyalty commitment. That's um, also the base price, isn't it? That that yeah. that's the starting price. That's before cup ties, that's before getting to and from the game, buying eating. a program, eating, mm. drinking, all those other things. So it is a phenomenal uh, loyalty. Players who are earning a quarter of a million pound a week cannot possibly be described in the same breath. However, see, it's a different breath. Um, Aguero and Silva uh, are two examples, I think, at City at the moment. You might have expected me to say Zabaleta, but those two are, are good examples because it feels to me that there's a two-way loyalty there between them showing their commitment to City, even though... And no doubt that both of those two could have moved on to uh, either more higher wage or, or more, at that time, three or four years ago, chance of winning trophies at somewhere like Madrid or, or Barcelona. But they haven't, and they've never made any noises to that direction. And it feels to me as if City is saying, listen, we'll look after you too. We know that you want to go to Las Palmas. We know you want to go to Independiente. You, um, we will... You know, give us your time here and your commitment, and we'll make sure it's all right at the end. And and I think City will allow them then to sort of, and this will be a big talking point as it gets to near near to the end of the contracts, like it is with Sanchez. But I think those two will run out their contracts and then go on free transfers to the two clubs that they want to. And what great loyalty that is between the players and the club. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just want to go back though to, to what you were talking about the fans. Oh, as you know, I mean, I'm not a City fan. I haven't grown up a City fan. Um, 
But it always makes me laugh when you get opposition fans singing at City fans, where were you when you weren't very good, to paraphrase a <laughs> rather rude chant. Uh, and you just think, what planet are you, have you been on? Exactly. You know, everyone knows. I mean, I've grown up around Manchester, and I, I still remember City being in the third tier and getting 30-odd thousand people, as you said. Now, I don't think there's, there's, there's very, very few clubs who can, who can boast that, who can say that, that same thing. You know, people talk about Newcastle fans, oh, Geordies are so immensely loyal, we fierce about the club. But I remember Newcastle being in the second division and getting 10, 11,000. Think, well, where were they then? Kevin you know, Keegan spoke of that when he was there, that this whole idea of Newcastle being the, this great supported club. And he said, well, I remember being close to relegation and no one being here. Yeah. Kudos to the 10, 11,000 mm, who were there. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're the true Geordies, they're the proper Newcastle fans, and I'm not knocking them. But there's, there's, you think. These supporters who are questioning, who are, who are singing at City fans, you think you just just need to take a look, little look at history. You're just completely and utterly wrong, and it's there for all to see. Talking about the players, yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think you're right. Loyalty doesn't go a long way in football these days. You don't really get one club men so much. You know, you got Messi at Barcelona, who, who may or may not uh, be staying at Barcelona for his career, um, but Silva and Aguero. I, th- I think they've just. I think they've just enjoyed being at City. You know, uh, ideally, I mean, this is this is Pep's thing. Pep wants to engender a loyalty at City. You yeah, know, definitely. and players like that are central to it. But he wants to bring players through, and the likes of Phil Foden are crucial for that. You know, Phil Foden's a local boy. Um, he's sort of been brought through the system. He's got he's got sky blue blood running through his veins now. And if he can if he can go on into the first team, he brings with him. What the kind of thing that, that Barcelona have had down the years, where you've got like young lads who who came through the system there, who who feel that they are Barcelona. You know, they, they, every ounce of their being is Barcelona. City want that same kind of the feeling, and you can't replicate that. Like, you can't buy that. You know, they have to an extent in that they brought in Silver and Aguero and players like that who have become uh, a part of the essence of the club. But when you develop it, it's something new, and that is that that is. Pep's big thing, and that's one of his one of the reasons he's been brought in to try and help the academy produce that kind of player. And obviously, when you bring players in, that they will buy into it as well. I'm afraid I'm going to have to be a bit more cynical about this. Um, I, I, I totally buy what you're saying with Aguero and Silva. They've definitely had the opportunity to go elsewhere, and I, I think, like you say, Stu, I think they just enjoy it here. They enjoy the life in Manchester. Probably a bit easier going than if they were in Madrid or Barcelona as well. Um, but I think if you look at most modern footballers, the ones that you would consider like the, the one club players, they've been fabulously rewarded for that. And I think, you know, the classic example was always uh, at United, Ryan Giggs, wasn't it? Well, if United weren't paying him so handsomely and Inter Milan were paying him more, he would have gone. Absolutely. And if they weren't winning trophies, he would have gone, wouldn't Absolutely. they? I think one example maybe that is the exception to that might be Matt Letizia, I'm thinking, in modern times, wasn't yeah, you? you know, yeah, he was someone yeah. who could have gone you know, Alan Shearer went back to his boyhood club, Newcastle. It was all about he loved Newcastle. Well, they happened to make him the most expensive player in the world and fabulously rewarded him for it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, there is. But you still have options. You yeah, know, you, yeah. it, you know, as, as Ian said, you know, no doubt Aguero certainly could have gone to a bigger club in the last seven yeah. years, one that would get more trophies. And he wouldn't. It's not like he'd, he'd have to take a wage cut. He'd still be on the same wages. He'd be assured of an easier time of it in Spanish football. He'd be assured of winning trophy after trophy. But he hasn't taken that option. Yeah. And, and he's never, despite every summer this story coming up and coming up, he's never actually 
made noises that he wanted to go away. You know, the noises have been made about him, but he's never made those noises. So I think I think that is a degree. I, I take what you say. I mean, he does enjoy the fact that he's not in a goldfish bowl. You know, he saw Madrid when he was at Atletico. He saw what Real Madrid players have to put up with. Uh, and he didn't like it. He, he's a bit more of a private man. He didn't want that, and he enjoys it. But I mean, that that's part of the. That, I think that comes into that's part of the loyalty thing. Why he's loyal? You know? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. loyal for yeah. these reasons because yeah. he likes the club. You know, for these reasons. Mm. You know, uh, Shea, I was talking to Shay Given as well this week, and this this is a type of loyalty. He's such thing. a name dropper. <laughs> <laughs> but he talked about how he was a he sort of short well you know this is I know this is a debate there's a well paid and everything so I'll take your point James but he talked about the fact he was at Newcastle for a long time but when he left the club didn't show him he said respect in the way that he departed from the club and yet he's observed City being a different type of club in the way for example they handled the departure of Pablo Zabaleta and gave him a big send off and you know basically you know thanked him for everything he'd done now that might not seem like a massive thing because in this cynical world of, of, of everything about being about money that maybe that stuff doesn't matter but it clearly does because they're still human beings so um, it's good to hear that City are getting it right and that the players within the club and, and those who've been recently in the club perceive that themselves. So Shea Given, in his condemnation, and I think that's what it was, of the way Newcastle um, got rid of him in the end, was full of praise for City. And you can see that in Aguero, you can see that in Silva. Again, Yaya Torre, very well paid. But look at the loyalty, mutual loyalty that there has been between them. He's not in the papers every five minutes at the moment. I know he's got a dodgy agent and everything, but he's not in the papers every <laughs> moment. Be the best example. <laughs> more, more, yeah, but he's not moaning at the moment, is he? No, he's not. not being no, in the not. team. And when all the problems were happening with his, his agent, that wasn't what was what was being, what was was happening. It wasn't Yaya being quoted about wanting to get away and not liking City. It was different issues, wasn't it? Mm. And uh, and it feels as if, you know, that there are encouraging signs of a of a building loyalty that as you say Stuart probably comes from Pep because look at his relationship with Cheeky and with Seriano uh, and the uh, and Manuel Estadiatis or however you say his name you know the polo player that he uses his right hand man there is a lot of loyalty within their camps and I think that is now coming down you could even say from the owners as well but down through the ranks to, to the team. And maybe that's part of the reason why they're, they're such a together team at the moment. It's surprising that, that Zabaleta send-off, just how many footballers at all kinds of level were impressed by that. Mm. I mean, personally, I thought it was a little bit over the top, but I'm a bit more of a traditionalist, whereby, you know, I, I love Pablo to bits. I think, he's, I think he's a smashing man and a great footballer and a fantastic servant. And I'm glad he got that send-off. But never used to do that in years gone by, did we? You think of the great players that have served City down the years. Did they get that kind of send-off? It's funny you did... should say that, though. But maybe this has come from... You know, we talk a lot, we compare sometimes the German footballing culture. Again, the price of tickets at the moment has been discussed. And, uh, and, and again, I heard somebody this morning on radio saying we should follow the German model uh, because they have fan ownership and all the rest of it, you know, and, and, and that it works well over there. Well, I've witnessed at the end of a season at Schalke, the other team that I follow quite closely, them giving Pablo Zabaleta-style send-offs mm. to players at the end of their contract. We've seen at Huddersfield Town, their German coach, 
introducing the bowing to the away fans and the and everything and, and whilst that might feel unnatural to English supporters I think it shows a lot of mutual respect yeah yeah and, and, and so I, I, I whilst the cynical old Stuart Brennan might no, not, no, not knocking. I, I love what, what they did with uh, yeah with, absolutely with I'm, I'm not knocking I just thought it, it was a little bit out of context for English football it might, it might become the norm now because as I was saying there's so many footballers who looked at that and thought it was great you see it all over social media footballers mm. saying that was fantastic Good. you know and, and hoping and it might just it might just lead to something it might help City but it might help football in general to realise that loyalty and, and uh, you know loyalty is a two way thing and, it, and it's absolutely essential to, to, to the building of a football team and a football club yeah going down the line maybe players would think actually I'll stick around because it, it really is appreciated that sort of thing yeah mm. yeah that feels like a good place to to stop. Uh, although I'm just going to ask, and I know you love doing this cheesy predictions for the weekend. Um, I, I think it'll be a good game, and uh, hopefully City will win. That's my prediction. Uh, Leicester City four, Manchester City no, no, no. <laughs> um, I do think they might slip, but I think it'll be. I don't think they'll lose. I think it might be Again for one one. I think City will win comfortably, three four nil. <laughs> well, now we'll find out. Watch this we? space. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this episode of Talking City. We'll be back next week. And remember, you can get all the latest episodes as they happen by subscribing to iTunes or Audio Boom. Please do leave a review as well, those things always help. <laughs>